Hi, guys, and welcome back to the Fenced In podcast. As usual, you are here with myself, Ben, and Chris. Um, for those of you that are just joining, uh, we are two GB international foilists. We are also coach and student. We're very pleased to announce we have our third guest this week, which is Mr. Dimitri Kutia, who is part of the wheelchair British fencing team. He is European champion, world champion, 2016 Paralympian, and current world number one. Dimitri, is there nothing you aren't? Yes, plenty, but uh, I'm really pleased to be here and uh, thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. And also, I just want to jump in and say, you two are also coaching student, right? Because Ben, you are uh, one of the coaches to the, the wheelchair squad and Dimitri, you're coached by Ben and you have been for quite a while now. Yeah, I think we started working together end of 2015. So just before just before, well, just before the Rio, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, we've been doing quite a lot of regular work since then. Yeah, it's been uh, it's been a while, and it's uh, it's going very well. And 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 Dimitri is always a, a pleasure to coach. Such a hard worker, and um, yeah, at the moment in time, it feels a bit strange because I'm so used to seeing Dimitri and yourself, Chris, actually, and and all of my students and everybody that I train with as well on such a regular basis. So to kind of be in this situation where uh, you know I'm 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 not seeing everybody as regularly as possible, it feels very strange. Uh, and actually, we've had a few catch ups and a, and a few chats on on House Party. I'm sure everyone's using that app just to kind of check in and stuff. But it's also been kind of nice to forget fencing and be able to just chat and catch up, just be ourselves outside of fencing as well. Also, Dimitri, you're world number one in two weapons. Is that right? Uh, currently, yes, for foil and epo. That's amazing. That's amazing. Is there, uh, anyone else able to do that? Yeah, there's been uh, quite a few athletes who 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 managed it at, at some point. But uh, honestly, I'm uh, I feel really really grateful that the the work that we put in, and not just me, but you know members of my team, i.e. Ben and the 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 other the other coaching staff uh, in and around the EIS wheelchair fencing program, uh, and and all of my teammates as well. We all kind of like combine and, and really work well together and to to help produce results like this not just for me but for the whole team as well and how do you find the change between weapons i've kind of managed to simplify it down for me in a sense because uh, i mean i i find like i can find a lot of crossover between the two styles and i think for me that helps to to kind of cope between between the weapon changes um yeah and in, in basically in a nutshell without going into too much detail about it oh, cool. well, that, that's <laughs> quite good i know that you're like you know, in foil, you're you're very good. You're very direct. You know, I've sat opposite you. You know, in a wheelchair on guard, ready fence, and I never know what's coming at me. I don't think I've ever got more than six hits on you. But your flicks and your strength in arms and upper body are just insane. I'm sure that it translates into epe as well, doesn't it? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think with wheelchair fencing, you'll find that there's quite a common theme of, you know, strong wrist strength. Most of the athletes who who compete with me are are are, are wheelchair bound as well. Um, that basically means that they're their grip strength and their upper body strength is going to be the predominant driving factor in, in, in the way they fence. Also, the proximity that we fence at kind of basically forces you to to be a lot more hand hand speed orientated. So that would help contribute with the strength as well. Foil tends to be my preferred weapon. Um, and Good I lad. find that Yeah. <laughs> and I find that uh, <laughs> basically the, the I, I could take a lot of the, the stronger elements that I'm, I'm good at in foil to, to, to cross over to my epo. And actually, for those that don't know a lot about wheelchair fencing, Dimitri, give us kind of some understanding about what what wheelchair looks like, how it works, what the difference and what the similarities are between wheelchair fencing and a body fencing, because to the kind of 
the uninitiated, it can be quite a scary world, especially when you're down the club and, and, and you know, you're, you're kind of ready to go and, and you say, someone, oh, come and fence me. And, and actually, they almost look at the setup like, where do I start? What do I do? How does this work? So for, for the listeners, give us, a, give us in a nutshell kind of what, it, what the similarities, what the differences between wheelchair and able-bodied. Okay, so in a sense, wheelchair fencing is basically the same sport as, as able-bodied fencing. It's the same rules uh, with foil and sabre and epee. Foil and sabre, you have the same kind of priority system uh, where the person who is initiating an attack will have the right of way to hit. And the, the rules of taking away priority are basically similar. The difference is that, obviously, in the name, uh, fencers have to sit down in a wheelchair to do it. The wheelchairs are clamped into a into a frame that is at a fixed distance that is measured before the fight based on the user's arm length uh, and on what the weapon they are doing. So, mm-hmm. Epe is done at a slightly further distance than foil and sabre. The frames are bolted down into that frame so that they don't move around too much when the fences lunge and retreat on them. There's no kind of up and down movement on a piece like like you would, that would be typical of able-bodied fencing. The change in distance control in wheelchair fencing comes from ability to lean forwards for an attack and backwards out away from the chair to, mm. to, to give themselves more time for a parry. I think the only other difference really is that the legs are not target in Epe. We wear kind of a, a conductive skirt which is the same or apron which is the same material as a foil army and this basically negates any hits that come from below the waist so the chair and the legs are blocked uh, otherwise everything else is pretty much the same you know i know you say that foil epi and saber are obviously the same weapon obviously just in in the chair do you find because often you spend a lot of time at the the leon paul center around a body fences and, and and we spend a lot of time around you and, and i know that i do some work with you and and also fence you on a regular basis and, and you know you've also done some refereeing and you've watched a body fencing a whole lot in terms of foil and saber the the priority weapons do you find that there is a a small difference between the the kind of the way referees look at some of the actions in comparison to each other i think more and more now that the way of viewing the the actions are quite similar uh, by refereeing obviously there are going to be some things that that just won't be as prevalent in wheelchair fencing i.e establishing a line um the rules on it for me at least are still a little bit hazy and we don't we don't work on it as much simply you said it's only you've only seen it once right in in all of in all of uh, well, i've seen I, i've seen it a couple of times whether or not the hit was given the right way is another matter because i'm yeah, not yeah. i'm not actually 100 percent clear on on the rules of it uh, because we don't really work with it that much because of how short the distance is. Sure. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I think I'd say the refereeing styles would be broadly similar uh, uh, as far as the fencing styles would go because wheelchair fencing, you get much less of the... or, or, or much shorter attack than you might see in, on, on the piece because obviously you've got 14 metres to, if, if you needed to, to slowly kind of like trot oh, that cool. piece yeah. in a, a Garozzo-style fashion um we we're, we're able to do similar things but obviously it just won't ever be take that long uh, in comparison so it depends on the referee's views on timing and stuff but broadly yes i'd say it's quite similar and actually there's the for you that uh, again to kind of un- give the the viewers a bit more of an understanding in in wheelchair you have three categories don't you based on on, on one's physical ability yes uh so category a fences would be people with a lower limb disability so um you tend to find amputees, cerebral palsy. Um, I mean, there, there could be a whole range of conditions, but the, I think those would be a couple of the main ones. Uh, some spinal bifida as well. In essence, basically, it's whether or not you've got full uh, trunk control. Mm-hmm. So that core would give a huge advantage in the way you're able to move and change direction as well. 
uh, and the range of movement that you can move at and the speed is would, would play a big part into that. Category B, which is my category, is people with uh, trunk impairment. So most common um, disability, spinal cord injury, and there's a few others. But in, in essence, we all have an impairment in our core control. So either little or no core control. And most of the movement is generated basically from, from our upper body and our arms. These two would never compete with each other in an individual competition. So it's basically like a completely separate event. The only time you get a crossover between category A and category B is in the team event where you have to have a minimum of one B on your team. Uh, and then the B would fence the A's just like anyone, just like everyone would fence everyone. In an so it becomes quite tactical then almost because you've got, you know, like a, an, an a, a category fencer versus a B category fencer. There's, there's very different abilities there. It's a very, yeah, it's a very different kind of style of playing because category A's are very based on movement and distance. Uh, whereas category B's would have to focus more on blade work, but also keep that obviously always keep that element of distance control in because it's, it's, it's key for fencing. Uh, but it is interesting to get, when you do see, um, you know, quite a good A against quite a good B, it's it's fun to see kind of how they the B tries and levels the playing field a bit, and how the A uses their strengths uh, uh, to their advantage against the Bs. Yeah, sure. And actually, uh, it's important to note that category C is not part of the Paralympics, is it? Yeah. So category C is the third category. Uh, at the moment, it's not a Paralympic event, but category C basically, if I'm I'm not 100 percent sure on the actual definition of it, but I know that it involves. Uh, uh, having a grip impairment so the the players are able to have uh, the the grip of the weapon taped to their hands uh, in essence so actually with some uh, somebody that that you know very well who I've, I've only had the pleasure to meet a few times is is, is bebe vio who's probably um the, she one of the most successful wheelchair fencers and, and she's she's actually a category c fencer isn't she but she fences in in b category is that right yeah you're able to fence up a category if you wish so if i wanted to uh, commit suicide i could go and uh, fence the category <laughs> a competition basically. So obviously you can't fence down a category but you know if you if you if you wanted to you could go up if you could go up a category basically uh, and that's what Bebe Viu does. Uh, as you said, she's a quadruple amputee for Italy uh, and she fences with the category Bs and she does very, very well indeed, <laughs> which is a bit of an understatement. But yeah, yeah. she's brilliant. She's very impressive. That's incredible. <laughs> that's just, um, yeah, it just goes to show actually, again, you know, like the triangle of skills and, and abilities and fencing across all events, all weapons. Um, you know, able-bodied, just kind of all the, the various different aspects of fencing that there are, you know, because it's it's sometimes really easy to just kind of tunnel vision yourself and say, well, I just have to work on my speed or I just have to work on my strength. But actually, there are so many different things and, and you know, the feeling um, and certain actions and coaching, you know, all that really comes into it. I often find the further into fencing you get, the more there is that unravels and you find there is to learn. You know, you yeah, think when, when you're kind of looking up the mountain, you're trying to to scale you know you think it kind of goes up into a peak and that the closer you get to the top the less there will be to know and understand it it's totally the opposite exactly yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's an upside down mountain isn't it in fact <laughs> speaking about strength um dimitri is a, is a very very strong athlete and actually um what whilst we do some work together and, and i and i feel like it, it, i can keep up with his speed and strength on my right hand if i ever give dimitri an opposite handed lesson i'm left in in in, in for, for cannon fodder he, he rips me apart and actually there was a really great photo a few years back um i think we were down in bath and um that you were doing some rowing action and i think there was both me and and, uh, and 
one of your other coaches uh, or, or former coaches, uh, Boldip, kind of hunkered down behind this bench, pulling you back with all of our strength, <laughs> trying to hold you in position whilst you were lifting this mammoth weight. So uh, he's a scary man to be around. Well, he's a big teddy bear, actually, but uh, he's a very strong, strong teddy bear. And so, Ben, talk about coaching quickly. Do you ever give Dimitri Epe lessons? Does the does the foil work come across in Epe? No, so I'm I'm I, I'm ten, I see myself as a, a foil specialist. Always have been. I, I've only ever fenced Epe or Saber. I think when I was really young at school, um, and you know, had did them at kind of club competitions at school. But I'm a foil specialist, and as uh, as a coach, I'm also a foil specialist. I would never ever consider myself an, an FA coach I've had to give an FA lesson once or twice um, as, as a warm-up to some of the other wheelchair guys and, and actually once a sabre lesson uh, which was a very steep learning curve um, but it was mainly just getting the athlete moving and kind of getting them kind of um, more fired up than anything else but the regular lessons that I, I do with 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 Dimitri and actually his teammate Oliver Lam Watson is, is just all foil and, and I work very much on 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 the foil stuff obviously there is there is always discussion about all the different weapons because you know a lot of them fence um, well they have to they have to fence a minimum of two weapons um, and, and so it's really interesting how you do balance that workout as well because obviously Dimitri trains very hard in FA as, as well with Bob and then with, with me in foil and, and and also with the national coach Peter Rome and so you know, he's there's, there's a lot going on there, and trying to balance that workout can can be can be tricky at times. Yeah. Okay. So, Dimitri, I didn't realise actually you had to fence two weapons. You don't have to. Wheelchair fencers will typically fence two weapons, but you do get some people who choose to specialise in one because of the way that the Paralympic uh, qualification is done at the moment. I feel at the moment it is a benefit to be fencing in two weapons because you get a combined kind of like Paralympic score, as it were, uh, which would give you. Uh, a higher rating, but it, it is possible to do one weapon as well. Okay, yeah. fine. Okay, yeah, and Ben, so. and you just mentioned another coach, Bob. So presumably that's your FA coach. Uh, yes, I work with him, Bob. Uh, Bob Meshkov. We've been working together a similar time to Ben, slightly not 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 quite as long, but yeah, um, he I, I do I, I do regular work with him as well. Uh, and and our head coach Peter Rome is based in in Bath, which is where I also train quite a lot. Okay, cool. And so when did you start fencing? I started fencing at the end of 2009, I think, when I joined my my secondary school, St. Benedict's. Um, I saw that it was a games option there because the school was a big rugby school and, you know, they, they had a wonderful kind of choice of sports for, for, for all the students to play. And fencing was the one that really kind of captured me and the school were brilliant. You know, um, uh, Father Thomas, I believe, and I think a couple of others as well, they raised some money and bought me my first frame that I did work with their... Um, my first coach, uh, John Sloan, who I worked with for many years, was uh, really dedicated to me, and we did a lot of work together. Uh, and he was a big part in in, in the contribution to my um, debuting in Rio uh, for my first Paralympics. So yeah, honestly, I think that school really gave me a big drive and a big motivation to to, to, to pursue this. And that was the first time I think I, I, I met Dimitri was down at St Benedict School, wasn't it? I kind of rocked in and 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 we he plonked me down and we we had a go at each other. I think that was. I can't remember how many years ago that was. Uh, it was a while ago. I think I'd only been there a year or two. Um, I, all I remember was uh, fencing this guy and his flicks were absolutely killer. I was like, I want to flick like this. How do you do this? How did you, how did you learn that? And um, yeah, I reckon, I reckon it's your fault, basically, the reason I flick so much now. <laughs> That's true. Actually, trying to get Dimitri in foil to hit with the point is... Um, is, is the interesting part. Usually, if you ever get in a chair with him and the pleasure to fence him, it's uh, trying to defend the target you can't see is uh, is, is the problem. But um, 
Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it was a lot of fun. I think I, I can't remember the reason as to why we came down, but we had a great time. We got chatting. You'd injured your ankle, so you I'd were injured my ankle. Yeah, you, oh. you injury, so you were sat down quite a lot because you weren't doing um, you, you weren't doing as much footwork. Someone someone recommended uh, you try wheelchair fencing. And actually, I think that there was uh, the the uh, one year there was a crossover between both the national championships were held at Sheffield. And that's, I think, probably the second time that, that, that we met and, and you were obviously having a fantastic day and winning lots of medals and we got chatting some more and, and, and stuff like that. And actually, I think it's, it's, it really is nice to see when, when both the sports come together. And, and I know in at the, I think it was 20, 2010 Paris World Championships, I went long to go and watch. I believe it was 2010. I, can't, I could be completely wrong, but it, it was around that year. And again, they had the World Championships with both wheelchair and, and able-body fencing coming together. And I think that it's... It, it, it was an amazing thing. And it's something that I think that, that you know, we should all kind of work towards on, on, on a bigger scale because it's just great to see the crossover, the differences, the tactical differences, and but also the, the similarities and, 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 and a lot there. And yeah, I, I, it's, it's great visually to, to, to kind of watch. If you can kind of have a think about all the things you've experienced in, in fencing, what would you say is kind of like the greatest, the greatest moment, the greatest achievement for you? I think probably my best, well, one of the best highlights that I can remember of my career would be, I think, my uh, third World Championships in 2017. Uh, I was very fortunate to win uh, the double title for my category in individual foil and epee. That was quite special because that was my first kind of victory at a major championships, i.e. so either World Europeans or Paralympics. Those were my first uh, titles that I, that I won. Uh, and I remember that foil was the first day and the it, it, it ran relatively smoothly for uh, up until the semi-final. Semi-final was a really, really tough, tough match. I was I was up against a number of skilled opponents that day, and uh, I th I think I edged I edged the win 15-13 after he'd kind of caught up on a lead, but I managed to, to keep it together and pull it through. And then the final basically just managed to persevere through and and win. And it didn't register for me at first that um, that I had won because I, I kind of I was just so in the zone that I was trying to you know, focus on each hit and then hit the hit the last hit, saw the green light reflecting off my opponent's jacket, actually. <laughs> Registered, I was like, hang on, that was my right way. Looked at the referee and the referee had awarded the point and then it kind of sunk in. That... And actually Peter did the same thing almost from what I can remember from the footage. He did a kind of like double take as well and then you were both like, there was a split second when you were both like, surely, it's got to be. I mean, it has to be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was, the, that was the first moment and then it kind of sunk in that Oh my god, I'm world champion. And then the next day, kind of a similar kind of story ran relatively okay. Had a had a really, really uh, cool, interesting semi-final match against a really respected uh, opponent, Ali Amar from Iraq, who was a good friend of mine. And then in the final, actually, it was quite interesting. I, uh, against Up against an Italian and was, was losing 14-12, actually. Uh, in in an epe match, which is an, which is a bit of a hair raising thing. So obviously, because because fall and the priority, it's it's almost easier to control the hits if you know what I mean. Whereas epe, if you get a double, it's over if you're behind yeah. like that. But again, just managed to kind of edge it out and uh, yeah, became double world champion that weekend, and that was really really special for me because uh, I think that had been a year after Rio, which was uh, a big disappointment for me personally. Um, so for me, that was kind of me officially trying to bounce back and really really push harder for the next for for the next goal and actually conversely what was kind of the the low point in fencing but also not just the low point itself but what was the kind of learning what was the takeaway from from a low point in fencing i i, I definitely say rio was was quite a low point for me I, i'd done so much work 
to get to that point and it really really it made me reevaluate the way I train and the way I the way I focus certain aspects of my training um, because that's not at all what what I sacrificed like four years of my life to do basically what well, more than four years of my life to do at the same time I think it was good that I had that experience because I got I got I got positive a lot of positive experience from it and, and a lot of like learning points but the, those negative points really stuck out in my mind and I've now like adapted my training to to help train for those moments so you know it it, it it was a low point but at the same time it was significant and really important and in a weird way I'm kind of glad that I, I experienced that because it can avoid me making the same similar mistakes in the future. I think it's quite interesting to you know as you say there is that Rio felt like a, a low point obviously because the result didn't necessarily go the way you wanted and there's a lot of effort put in there but what's great to see is that the learning and the takeaway from that was kind of well let's reevaluate things and sit down let's build on things let's change things adapt things and yeah. then actually you know you became double world champion so it just kind of shows to, to everybody out there that actually through some of the the most significant low points some of the most significant learnings which actually really hurt because learning experiences are not nice you know kids mm. fall over or touch something hot and they don't do it again but they learn very quickly yeah and, exactly. and it's the same with adults unfortunately you have to go through a bit of a, what feels like emotional trauma at the, at the at the time because you you care so much and you put so much into it but actually they can be sometimes more valuable because they are able to what traject you onto the high points because of the learning, which is for you was to become double world champion, which was exactly. absolutely fantastic. And so with all of that, what now is kind of on the horizon? Obviously we've got the, the Paralympics and the Olympic games have been moved by a, a, a full year. What's the, what's the general feeling for you personally, having seen what, what was a, you know, a marker in the sand being moved, not only by a month, two months, but a whole year. I don't think, uh, well, maybe some people did, but I, I'd say probably 95% of the world wasn't really expecting a situation like this to suddenly kind of come out of the blue and completely change, well, everything really. There's no, you know, life plans have had to be shifted or, or like moved around. But, you know, at the same time, for me, as disappointing as it was, as much as I was looking forward to it, I don't think it's all bad, to be honest. Uh, how bad can an extra year of preparation be for, for such a big event? Uh, and that's the way I've kind of taken to viewing it now. It's, it, is, it is annoying because, you know, that not just the fencing, but, you know, life plans that go on around it have been orientated around Tokyo. And now everything's going to have to be shifted now for another year. But given the current situation and the countless hours of hard work that our NHS are putting in and, uh, and everyone is, is doing to kind of cope with this virus... I'd say an extra year of, of, of practice for, for the games is actually quite quite a small you know, blessing. It's really not. Uh, in the long run, I don't think, it, for me personally, it's really something that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm too concerned about. And in all honesty, uh, definitely a blessing in disguise for me, at least. Funny, we, 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 last week we had uh, Dan Kellner on. And he said a very similar thing, which is you kind of look at the, the, the opportunity, which is you haven't lost anything actually you've gained time you've gained the preparation and and I, and I know having worked closely with you in the program and seen kind of the stuff that that the program delivers for you kind of looking at those very small percentage gains and looking how you can really make sure that everything is 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 controlled as as, as much as possible and having an a b and, and c plan of preparation um is obviously hugely important to any athlete and so you know just to keep refining those kind of a b and c plans and making sure that actually with another year now, every preparation in, into into Tokyo is, is is even even better, even more perfect, even more ready to go. And so you don't have those potential, um, you know, pitfalls. You know, you guys have the best preparation and, and really making sure that's definitive leading into the games. 
Absolutely, yeah. I couldn't agree with you more. Also, this is quite interesting because it kind of feeds into the opposite of how probably not just fencers, but I imagine athletes approach events. You know, they they try to look at them as opportunities, try not to feel the nerves, you know, try to target certain kind of dates and periods of time. So it's really interesting that we've had now both you and Dan say, this is an opportunity. We've got more time. We can do this stuff better because coming out of the tournament, I don't really remember not in recent years coming out saying I wish I'd had more time before that competition to do this thing so it really was about making the opportunities and so what with your extra year to focus on what are you going to be targeting what are you looking at what are you trying to improve that that you want to make even better I think just the way that I tactically view fencing and those kind of adaptive strategies that I put in place when 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 you're in the middle of a match and you're having to change what what you're doing I just really want to refine that process down and really you know make sure that I'm tactically and structurally sound in that kind of sense also fitness is always like a key importance I want to remain or get back to as the peak physical condition that I can do and ensure that Basically, I've I've left nothing to chance for for Tokyo in that kind of sense. So that that's what we're heavily focusing on this year. Um, if there is any competitions, we'll be practicing for that. Uh, given whatever the, the 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 coronavirus situation will be, if we have competitions, then that's something that we'll practice and use as, as milestones as well for. So Rio in itself, you said, was quite a disappointing experience. But how did you find the event as a whole, and what are you taking from that to go to Tokyo? Do you do you reckon going to a second Paralympic Games is a major benefit is is you know having that experience is really key as opposed to going to the first one absolutely I think uh, I mean I, I, there may be evidence to, to contradict my statement but I feel that a first games is always going to be qu- quite shocking well I'm sorry no the first game is a shocking experience for 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 most athletes and um, my teammate Piers Gilliver actually I'm quite proud of is is one of is is one of is is, is one of the, the the few I know personally who who've managed to excel at their first games as well. So, but for me, I think well, given given the experience that I had at Rio, it, it definitely would be helpful for me to have uh, a second games because I, I I'll be more familiar with the atmosphere and what's expected in that. I, I'd be using that as you know as a preparation for Tokyo in that kind of sense. I had the the pleasure of going to the European Games in 2015, and and that was a multi sport event. And now a multi sport event is different from you know any other event it it becomes very different world championships or european champs or or even going to a grand prix where you don't only have your weapon but you may have like the the other weapons gender so you might have the girls with you for example in a grand prix or you go to the to the european champs where you have then every weapon or the world champs again where you have every weapon but then going to a multi-sport event is just something completely different there's so many moving parts there's so many things going on and actually i thought that 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 you know the the idea of going to the european games would would give me a lot of, of information that I needed and a lot of experience that I needed. And it absolutely did. And it was invaluable. And and, and I went out to, to Rio as a kind of one of the training partners with the, the British team and, and one of the, the potential reserves Something went, went wrong. And, and it was, I could not believe the magnitude that the Olympic Games then steps up to. The European Games had millions and millions and millions poured into it. But again, the Olympic Games were just something of an even bigger scale. And, and you just... You can't physically seem to get your head around it, especially when this is something that you've been training for, as Dimitri said, for kind of four, eight, 12 years. And, and it's just a huge scale. And so the idea of going along to something like this and actually performing at your first event seems almost impossible. There are many athletes that have done it and there's many athletes that have thrived under that pressure. 
But for a lot of athletes, you know, going to your first one, it's, it's trying to just make sense of everything, let alone perform, if you know what I mean. For me, what I find is really interesting is that I, I love competing. I, I, love the, I love it like you, Dimitri, you know, com- competition's a real thing. And so a real interesting thing for me. And so the idea of it suddenly being moved almost kind of disappoints me. Like, I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm ready to go. And, and it's almost like having to rein your kind of self back in a little bit and go, oh, we've got another year of preparation. There's a good opportunity. But not to kind of then, you know, try and train as hard as you can in that time it's like again you almost have to kind of take a few steps back and rebuild up again like you would do before competition but given that all that situation what are you currently doing in lockdown yeah for me i i might have taken like a different approach to to some people but in a sense i'm i'm still trying to ensure that i keep fit but at the same time i'm not putting too much pressure on myself i'm making sure that i'm basically uh, mentally well and 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 that when when in we do get back to some form of normalcy for training that I'm mentally like fully committed to it and and feel rested and recovered. And that's been my focus basically for the whole time to keep kind of mentally sharp and uh, just try and enjoy myself so that I can enjoy when I have to actually go back into fencing. We've never had a break like this, have we really? Uh, Most top athletes, you know, never get kind of three months of getting a time away from the sport. And actually this is, as you say, a really good, almost like mental recovery time as well because everything you've put in for the last few years obviously takes its toll on 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 the, on the mind and the body and so getting this kind of time to escape is is hugely important for some athletes yes completely and that's kind of what i've been putting at the forefront of my mind this this during this period and actually what is there anything that kind of like you've learned about yourself or it's the kind of lockdown has taught you have you kind of found anything about yourself or, or things you've really enjoyed doing that that, that you found lockdown yeah, I mean, uh, I've been trying to kind of do new things and uh, so much of your life is taken up by fencing that sometimes it's, it, it, I find it a bit difficult to, to commit the mental kind of capacity to, to really try and do, you know, other things in and around the, the, the training and the travel that is required for it. You know, I've been playing quite a lot of guitar and uh, uh, chess, actually, which is one, which is quite, maybe quite, quite a niche one. But uh, you need know. to take on Johnny Willis. I want to see you take on Johnny Willis. He oh, my God. His chess game up. <laughs> I want to see you beat him. I'm not really that good, to be honest. But uh, yeah, it'll be fun. Why not? It'll be give me something. Give me something else to look forward to once we come out of lockdown. But uh, yeah, you heard it here. Ben's uh, challenged uh, John on my behalf, apparently. <laughs> Title fight. That's what I want to see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those those couple of things. Uh, trying briefly my hand at story writing as well because I used to like that quite a lot when I was younger. But. Uh, you know, it's not going much beyond writing a title. <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a novel fiction kind of Well, thing. I mean, yeah, I, it, it might be a short story or something like that, but don't hold your breath, anyone. It's not going to get, uh, I don't think it's going to be hitting Waterstones anytime soon. Children's <laughs> stories. There's money in children's stories. Anyone that says they made millions is because they wrote kids' stories. That's a good That's point, actually. The Hungry Caterpillar. That man who wrote, or woman that wrote Hungry Caterpillar is going hungry no more. Yeah. Exactly. Video games. You must have been playing video games, surely. Oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know that that's... dexterity with the hands—that's what you're trying to get, right? Yeah, that fine motor control—it's really important. <laughs> what, what do you play? What do you play? Well, PS4, um, and I got ah. some of my <laughs> some of my close friends who who, who play it as well. Um, and your brother, right? Your brother is also a keen uh, keen PlayStation player. Well, yeah, he is. Um, ever since he lost his gaming laptop, he's been sharing a lot of time on <laughs> on my machine. So we basically have to keep negotiating. Be like, uh, can I play in an hour? I'm like, yeah, sure. And then I come in and was like, get off, basically. It's my turn. <laughs> George outside with his skateboard. That's fine. Just get him out there more. Well, yeah, he's skateboarding as well. To be to be honest, he'll, he'll go to. There's a hill right outside of our house, basically, uh, and he'll just go 
And because there's no cars, basically, it's well relatively safe. He just goes and skates down it, basically. I was going to say in 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 the in the Kutia household, I've I've had the pleasure many times of, of going over there, and 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 your mum has has very kindly cooked for me. And for actually, uh, whilst in lockdown, I made a quick phone call to to Nelly, Dimitri's mum, just to say, Nelly, I really I really, I really need uh, help with a dish. Um, we'd had a, an evening where we would plan to make uh, dishes from all over the world, and um, I pulled out the hat. Uh, Lebanon so I had to make a Lebanese dish and um, uh, Dimitri's uh, mum and dad are, are originally from, from Lebanon and so I was like Nelly I know you've cooked me some fantastic things in the past I really need your help and she helped me with this gorgeous dish that went down an absolute treat so a big thank you to Nelly but in your house have you been doing much cooking I'm surely this is a kind of group activity uh, well actually George and I have been doing well George has been doing more cooking than I have but yeah we've we've been doing that I made a couple of steaks actually you know based it with nice. butter garlic rosemary you know well seasoned that kind of stuff gave it to mum and dad to try george did his own recipe as well and i have to say actually george is really good yeah he he really seems to enjoy it i'll get up in the morning and he'll he'll be making eggs with with oat milk instead of uh, like normal milk he'll be like yeah it uh, gets a little bit of a nuttier flavor in it i'm like okay all right mate you'll you'll give it to me to try and then he'll um he won't not rinsing the pan is important because then he'll like gently cook literally for a couple of seconds uh, on each side uh, some thin pieces of ham and then incorporate that into his eggs and then he'll do like a whole dessert thing after lunch as well and i'm like yeah mate you, you go he's he's, he's <laughs> the taste great. tester he does it all and then gives it to you and you kind of get to sample everything yeah i try a little bit and try not to try too much but uh, every time i tell myself i'm going to eat less it doesn't seem to pan out that way <laughs> you make something else something new and i'll be like that's really good well, it'll be worth it when you get half your michelin star each yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly, mate. You gave me. I gave you half my time on the PS4. Give me half of your uh, restaurant earnings. <laughs> so actually, Dimitri, you've, you've you've kind of spoken about a lot of things that you're doing in lockdown that are obviously aside from fencing, which is great, and that you're relaxing, enjoying yourself. So, what are kind of your and, and based on that, which which is great to hear, because some people are doing a lot of training in, in lockdown, which again is is also great. Well, what are your top tips for fences in, in lockdown? For me, I think my top tip would be don't put pressure on yourself. I kind of had a slight well more than a slight worry uh, at the beginning of lockdown that I just wasn't feeling like productive and you know there wasn't like a huge amount that was going on this situation is not normal this isn't a productive situation that we're living in I think once you get used to it then you can start to like go go into more stuff that you want to do and, and explore that more and then you can start to get stuff done but especially at the beginning where this is as a society we haven't been forced to to basically stay at home um this is weird, you know, this this stuff you think, it, it's always been possible, but, you know, you never really think, okay, I'm going to be living through a pandemic that's going mm. to force, that, that you mean means means it's not really safe to be to be out on the streets for too long in, in that kind of sense. So, yeah, I, I'd say just don't put pressure on yourself. There's nothing, no one's forcing you to do anything. You don't have to come out of lockdown a ripped monster or, 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 or an expert in whatever it is you're doing. As long as you're as long as you're making sure that you stay as healthy and safe mentally as possible, I think that's the best that anyone can ask for. So if you've done everything, great. I I really respect that. But if you've done nothing, then that's really not, not a big deal, to be honest. You know, you can't be expected to work well when you're not in a mentally free place. And this isn't mm. free. You know, everyone's like, oh, staying at home, how bad can it be? Yeah, it's not. And I'm, I'm quite lucky. You know, I've got a lovely home environment and wonderful supportive friends and family who I keep in regular contact with even then it's not really the grounds for a productive um environment so yeah no pressure on yourself just make sure that you're 
keeping as happy as possible uh, so that when we do return to some form of normalcy, then you're, you know, you'll, you'll, you'll be as good as possible to get back into it. People have got time, you know, nothing, nothing saying that you have to be an expert in what you're doing by tomorrow. You've got time to do it. Yeah, and that's a great way of looking at it. We've spoken quite a lot on this podcast about how, you know, there's lots of physical things that we can all be gaining on in lockdown. But actually, you know, we had a whole episode on, on kind of uh, psychology, but obviously psychology is as only good as your actual psychological well-being. And then psychological well-being is, is really important. And I think that, you're right, Dimitri, this is this is almost a prison for some people and, and not everybody has the capacity to find themselves in, in a good mental place. Um, and that's fine. You know, this, this is, isn't the easiest thing for, for, for everybody and people deal with it in lots of different ways. Um, you know, and this actually causes huge stress factors for a lot of people. So actually just trying to, you know, maintain a good, healthy mindset throughout this in some capacity is actually a major gain for, for, for somebody. So it's important that people recognize what they need to do, not what they think society needs them to do. Exactly. You know, don't don't put un, undue pressure on yourselves. And, and what are you looking most forward to after lockdown? When you come out of this, what, apart from giving me a hug, I know, that, I know that's a, ma a major thing for you. But what, 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 what are you most looking forward to? Yeah, I mean, as you briefly touched on it, that kind of social side of actually being able to maybe physically uh, come closer to people who I really care about, see them. Um, because for me, that's a big part of my, my lifestyle in that kind of sense. Uh, my support group is very important to me. So I can't wait to hopefully see them more on a more frequent basis. Uh, and as much as I've enjoyed uh, a small break from, from, from fencing, I am really looking forward to getting stuck back into it in a sense because Tokyo still it's a year it's a year further away but I'm still very committed to it and I basically want to give it my all uh, and so I will really be looking forward to kind of getting back into regular training as it whenever that may be it may not be for a little while longer but you know that's something that's definitely on, on the horizon of my mind and I'm pushing that well, obviously, when we get back at that, this this is going to be, uh, you know, a time to see everybody again and, and embrace people and, you know, have that real social aspect. I think that's what a lot of people are missing, right? And, and myself personally, you know, not seeing the community on a regular basis, both friends, family and, and obviously people that I, I work and train with, you know, is, 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 is tough. But when we get back to that and, and things return to normal, hopefully we've learned some things from this that we can carry forward in a productive way. And and then hopefully the, the Paralympics will roll around and you'll be really ready and ready to go. But what does kind of life look like for Dimitri kind of, post Tokyo and, and maybe even beyond, you know, in the future, kind of 10 years from now, what do you, what do you kind of see? Well, I thought about it a lot. I don't know how much um, I know for sure, because I, you're I, quite young still, aren't you? You're, you know, you're, you're, you're baby bait basically. <laughs> I'll be 23 this year. So yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I've, I've still got some time to kind of like think about those things. Uh, I'm, I'm continuing for Paris for sure. And I'm trying not to think too far beyond that in terms of fencing because you know I'm, I'm giving myself one one goal at a time to look forward to uh, basically uh, and if I can qualify for a third games that would be I, I consider myself very very fortunate outside of fencing I, I I'm definitely interested in continuing this kind of thing that I've been doing in lockdown of exploring you know other other activities other 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 potential passions and how they translate if they translate into a career I, I honestly couldn't really tell you but yeah, I, I am definitely thinking about my life outside of fencing and how I'm going to incorporate that into my fencing. That's how it all goes, you know, kind of careers and passions are all kind of happy accidents and what interests you more. And then at some point down the line, these things end up earning you some money. That's certainly how it happened for me in design and my wife is an actor, you know, lots of people in tech as well. And that's what I'm kind of like hoping for. But uh, And yeah, in a way, again, lockdown, blessing in disguise has given me the time to try and delve into that a bit. And for anybody that kind of wants to to hear 
more about you from you uh, you've also you've done a done a done a ted talk or you were signing up I, for a TED talk? Done, I, I haven't it's done on, on its way no well no i got asked to do one a couple of years ago but the event actually got cancelled ah, um right. so but yeah i was that was something that i was i was doing talking about kind of um the idea of challenging perceptions and and and, and sport and what kind of like life is like or viewed as but as a as a disabled person Oh, cool! That sounds really good. Probably have it somewhere if you if you're interested in reading it. But yeah, I mean, you know, I, I don't think it's going to happen uh, again. Like that event has been cancelled. But you know, I, I do find stuff like that quite interesting, and uh, I was I was I was quite looking forward to it actually. Yeah. So in the meantime, where can people find you if people want to ask you more questions or see what you're doing? So I've got several social media handles. I'm on Instagram, uh, Dimitri Kutia, um, which is D I M I T R I C O U T Y A. All lowercase, all one word. My Twitter handle is at dkutia, capital D, capital C. And my Facebook page is Dimitri Kutia GBR. And if you give that a follow, it's updated regularly by my dad, who is also an avid supporter of me and uh, mm -hmm. is really up to top on kind of like my my latest kind of competitions and stuff. So that's that's also a reliable area to look for. So if you're interested, please feel free to follow me. I, I'd really appreciate the support. Awesome. Well, I think that kind of brings us quite nicely to to the kind of the, the a nice conclusion for 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 our, for our interview. Uh, any any last bits and bobs, Dimitri, at all before we we sign off? No, I I'd just like to say thank you so much for having me, and uh, thank you all for listening. And uh, it's been a real pleasure. Uh, really, really enjoyed talking to you guys again. After <laughs> seems like so long since we've uh, been been down at the club together again. Yeah, it won't be won't be too much longer, mate. It won't be too much longer. And I just like to say, like, take this opportunity to say thank you to all my uh, support staff uh, and and support network as well. On top of that, uh, and uh, thanks to UK Sport and uh, the National Lottery for providing us with the with with the funds that we need to to train regularly and um, and, and and compete at the highest level for for GB. Uh, I couldn't have done it without without all of you guys, no matter how big or small your part in this was absolutely here here no very and good you are 100 included in that ben and <laughs> oh thanks mate that's very kind of you no no you're right uk sport do an amazing amazing job with uh, with sport in the uk and it's one of the reasons why we are successful dimitri thanks so much for coming on it's been an absolute pleasure to, to have you um and it's also great to 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 kind of see you again uh, over 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 social media but uh, it's been great to see you and and we've had a lot of fun talking to you we obviously wish you the very best of luck with all your preparations uh, in, into next year. I can't wait until we're back in a chair together, working together again, but also uh, going and just chilling out and um, having some of your mum's lovely cooking as well. So um, <laughs> that kind of concludes it. And for anybody that wants to get in contact uh, with us, uh, you can follow us on, on our Twitter uh, account, which is at fenced in podcast. Um, we are also on uh, Google, Apple, Spotify, YouTube and Transistor as well. So make sure you subscribe as you. And of course, please do get in contact, whether you just want to uh, leave a comment, ask a question um, or find out more. That is where we are. See you later, guys. Bye. Bye. The Fenced In podcast has been created in association with J4G Design, your one-stop user experience agency for all things digital, websites, graphic design and technical support.